unpatriotic Chip Hessenflow, Steve. I'm I'm Sam the Eagle. <laughs> oh, it all makes so much more sense now. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Yes, Chip, you are you are the Sam the Eagle to my Fozzie Bear so much. <laughs> Well, Sam knows exactly what today is, Steve. It's Flag Day. Happy Flag Day, everyone. Uh, a red letter day in my household, for sure. Happy, happy Flag Day. Uh, put up your uh, Betsy Ross, Steve. Put up your Betsy Ross. That sounds like the name of your third album. Uh, it could be. It could be. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Chip, one of your favorite stories is Jurassic Park, the uh, amazing science fiction story turned into a movie that fascinated audiences. And the sequel, the latest sequel, Jurassic World Dominion, came out this week. Did you make it to the movie theater to see this movie? I did make it to the theater, Steve. The theater. And what is your feeling on this iteration of one of your favorite stories? Well, first of all, I really enjoyed the Michael Crichton book. Um, learning a lot about T-Rexes and certainly you know, the, you know, the evil corporation putting together the theme park and basically making a lot of leaps in f- of faith on, you know, the animals would not be able to... Uh, I don't know. Life finds a way, as uh, Goblin would say, right? Life finds a way. It's about chaos theory. Mm-hmm. It's about um, uh, basically using DNA to create life uh, or in- improve life. And, and there's just so much fun that takes place in that. And from that, we get this Spielberg movie, the, re- the original Jurassic Park, where you go to the theater and you get to see what a human looks like besides these lifelike dinosaurs that were brought back to life. That first scene in the Jurassic Park movie where they uh, drive with the Jeeps and they stop and they see the brachiosaur and you can just see everybody just stops dead in their tracks because it is so breathtaking. And the beautiful music from um, John Williams in there, this beautiful theme, all of that's thrown out of, uh, of the uh, movie. This is no longer like a, a mix of science that could be and, and stuff like this. This is an allegory. Well, it's an allegory. It could be on COVID. But, you know, I think it was written before COVID started about the vaccines and things of that nature. But really, you know, Tim Cook plays a really bad guy in this. And, it's not uh, actually Tim Cook, but the uh, allegory of the idea of Tim Cook, right? This is Tim Cook playing the bad guy. And everything takes place at that spaceship of a uh, of an office that they call the Apple headquarters, you know, on one infinite way. So this is, I mean, it's not even, I mean, it's so blatant. The idea was to bring all the actors back for one more, you know, row to go against them. And how dare these evil uh, corporations create these dinosaurs? I don't know. They haven't learned anything at all in five movies that, you know, this time they're going to get it right, Steve. This time they're going to get it right. This time. <laughs> well, my goodness. You never know. There could be a next time. There could be a next time. 
you know, they think it's the end. Well, until the money starts throwing and people want to see dinosaurs again. So I think the, they've, I think they've taken, they took what I originally thought would have been the movie from the, the second movie would have been that the, the animals escaped the island had have moved to the mainland and have started um, kind of repopulating the earth, um, really going up North and South America. They took that, but they quickly abandoned that with this movie. Um, and then they just created a new park out in Europe. But somehow at the end, by the way, the United States is going to be the judge and jury of this because why not? I mean, I think this thing takes place in Europe. But, oh man, it is just, it's just one preachy moment after another preachy moment with a bunch of really cool dinosaurs looking at it. There really isn't much of a story. There's a few chase scenes. You're going to get some big dinosaurs fighting a chicken dinosaur. Oh, great. These are all kind of cool. Okay. But they're just like, um, they're just like little sequences. Like, what if the T-Rex fought the chicken dinosaur? All right. So let's go ahead and bring them out. And they fought. And then that's ended. And we'll move to the next scene. It's really just a, kind of a poor performance of it. You know, okay. kind of setting up the story. So the story doesn't flow on what it should be. They basically revisit every trope that they've created from the first movie, because why not? And then at the end, what you don't get is that scene at the end of Jurassic Park, where they're on the helicopter and they're leaving. The beautiful music starts playing and you're looking over at the birds flying and you're going, birds and dinosaurs have a connection. And you're realizing the science of it and the beauty of, of nature and, and all this other stuff. There's just so much being said there. This one is just awful. There's just not that moment of it. So everything is just kind of a piecemeal comic book and just bad. I, I'm going to say 25 out of 100. We've got to stop making sequels because they're just not good. And the other part I want to say is that in California, there's just this bubble of what they're riding with. It just, they, it's like no one else can have a place at the table. You know, all corporations are evil. The government's going to solve everything. As opposed the American to government, the, the very specific American government, not the European Union. Well, in this one, it is the American government, but it could be any government at that hmm. point. Oh, I'm sorry, except for um corrupt officials and they make lots of commentary like i bring you into the corporation and i promote you so quickly and get your salary up so quickly that at that point you're willing to compromise your values and then what we have here and by the way this does make a commentary i forgot to mention this the 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 whistleblower of this is from a different generation and uh it is a younger generation and this basically, I mean, is it asking the younger generation to be the whistleblower of, uh, of what they perceive to be bad? But, you know, once again, the guy is no doubt, he's Tim Cook. And the place this all takes place is the Apple headquarters. This is awful. This is, I mean, do we really have to vilify people who run large corporations on this level? I mean, it just seems to be a, a, just a bad precedent. 
at least you have Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, and Laura Dern returning. Oh, great. <laughs> Sam is like a thousand years old in this movie. And you can see the age has worked on him. He is healthy. He's in good shape. But certainly, he's an older man. Laura Dern is the Your Laura favorite. Dern I, I, I always love. They always seem to give her the parts that are like the, the, the trigger warning moments um, for me. You know, for this one, it's the same stuff. Like, oh. And then Jeff uh, Goldblum is not the Jeff Goldblum that we we, we like. No. They've kind of, they've kind of taken his, um, the charm from the, uh, that he had from the first movie and that he continues to play this, basically he plays himself now. Yeah. And they've moved into this character who has uh, infiltrated the, uh, like, life has damned. We, we, we've damned the earth. But you know, I might as well make the best of it. That's it. that's basically his um, his way of dealing with things. And as he says, I've got to support five kids. <laughs> so he joins the evil corporation. Well, only to you know to to damn the evil corporation and bring Laura Dern in. Um, and then we have the Jurassic World cast, who basically you know just do a lot of running. I mean, it's just we're going to do a lot of running, and. Um, I, Are there any kids in danger in this one? Because that, that's of kind course. of a hallmark a, of the Jurassic Park. There's a clone. <laughs> we learn more about the clone. The girl is being hidden away because, you know, maybe they'll come get her. Of course they steal her. They take her to Jurassic War, uh, the new Jurassic Park, whatever the name of it is. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's, I think it's at one infinite way uh, is where it's located in um, Cupertino, uh, California. That's my, that's my, that's my thought. I, I, maybe I could be wrong. I'm reading into it incorrectly, but that's what it looks like to me. Um, and then she finds out her mother really did love her. Oh my goodness. Young people and uh, their parents not getting together. Who would have thought, who would have thought that could be a possible concept, but at the end, I feel the you're daughter, being a little sarcastic about things, Chip. I think that you didn't like this movie very much. <laughs> well, here's the other thing: is it wasn't packed, which I thought it would be packed. I, I went to the showing opening night, okay, um, and I turned to the 16 year olds who were sitting down. Uh, I've got four or five of them near me, and I said, "What did you guys think think of the movie? What did you guys think of this movie?" They said, "It's all right," hmm. but I kept thinking, like, when will this end? That would been that was. One of the thoughts rolling through my mind as I'm watching this. And at the time, you know, I just said, well, you know, we'll just call it up. Like the Marvel movies, you just kind of go through them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's some good parts, some fun mm-hmm. stuff, usually fun. Uh, this wasn't, I didn't really get that feeling. I, I don't think someone whose kids wants to see this film is going to go and say, oh, it's so awful. Like, like somehow I'm portraying it to be. It's a, you know, I said 25 out of 100. So one star. And the thing is, is that all of these could have been solved in the writing. Mm-hmm. Where it could have been just something like, can we get maybe a little more of the science of the dinosaurs? And why the, you know, they're kind of addressing it without addressing it. Why the Jurassic Park dinosaurs didn't really have feathers or fur and stuff like that. But how the science has changed. And that's where we get the chicken dinosaur, by the way. It's a great big chicken that runs around with big, sharp uh, uh, wolverine claws. He's not and- a man. He's a chicken, boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
and and that one has feathers. So it's a big chicken. My point being is that we don't really get any the evolution of that. We don't get why this is going to be something. The guy's like, well, we're going to be able to solve Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's, and we'll be able to solve uh, you know all sorts of stuff through studying the dinosaurs. Of course, yeah, of course. And as at the same time, and not to give away because I'm totally giving this movie away, they build these great big bugs, you know, bugs as big as, I don't know, owls, uh, mm-hmm. who are basically eating all the crops, but not the crops made by Monsanto. Oh, I didn't, they didn't use Monsanto, but you know, the crops made by Monsanto, they wouldn't eat, but they'll <laughs> eat all the organic stuff because, you know, that's what bugs do. Oh my God. I mean, it's just, it's just so like one sign. I'm not saying these corporations are pristine and all that other stuff, but there's people working that they, they want to feed people. They, they want to make sure people are healthy. Steve Jobs certainly made no point. I mean, he was not, he, listen, he was going to make money, mm-hmm. but he wanted to give you the experience that you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and so jeepers, man, I just, it's like the, no one, there's not a break as in like, oh, you know, and I, I can't help but think this is how a generation thinks of the world, mm-hmm. followed by teaching uh, the other generation of this. This is, is, this is like the, the wealthy moms who won't um, get their kids to get their vaccines. That is, that's who wrote this. Hmm. And that's who's directing it. They're too smart to be that dumb is really what it comes down to. Oh, there you go. Chip is fired up about Jurassic World Dominion. Well, there you go, Steve. We got to to see the the big movie of the the week. Let's go to your movie, Steve. Yeah. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I finally got a chance to see this movie. Everybody, everybody that I've talked to about the multiverse of madness, the Dr. Strange movie said, Oh no, no, you should see the better multiverse story. Everything everywhere, all at once. It finally came to streaming this week. So I was able to finally watch it. And, and I have to agree. This is a very good movie about the concept of a multiverse, how your decisions impact your consequences in your universe and how the other choices that you could have made would have led you down a different path. This is Michelle Yeoh uh, absolutely showing off her Kung Fu skills. She has some great fight scenes. This is Jamie Lee Curtis uh, literally letting it all hang out and just being a wonderful comic foil in this story. James Hong, who is in everything, just has a great starring role in this. And it's amazing to see the transformation, the acting that James Hong can put into a part where we think he is one type of character and then he gives us a very, very strong opposite type in this film. Excellent. So would you recommend this film? I think everybody who has been studying the idea of multiple universe theory, everyone that enjoyed the Spider-Man multiverse, the Doctor Strange multiverse, this is a really good way to think about multiverse 
and how these universes and your choices and your consequences might collide. This is a very silly at some points in this storytelling, this is very character driven, much more character driven than the Doctor Strange version of this was. And you will you will be fascinated by all of the possibilities that are reviewed in this. Okay. Well, that looks like it's pretty good, Steve. Everybody, everybody that has seen it has told me that this is one of their favorites of 2022 so far. Well, I look forward to seeing this. Steve, that's not the only film you got to see this week. You got to go back into the uh, treasure chest of ancient films back in 1997 and watch. Oh, is that Jodie Foster? Yes. The Jodie Foster vehicle contact from 1997. This is one of my favorite films of all time. This is top 10 movies. The idea here is this scientist who is working on the search for extraterrestrial life, SETI, listening to all of the radio signals in the universe and trying to find evidence of life off world finds that evidence, finds that moment where she hears something, a signal coming from space that couldn't possibly be a natural phenomenon. It has to be alien life. And the pursuit of that knowledge, the pursuit of that science to solve the the long-held question, are we alone in the universe? This is a great film directed by Robert Zemeckis. Great music from Alan Silvestri. You said Jodie Foster is is the star of this, but I forgot about John Hurt being the uh, semi-antagonist, the, the sometimes antagonistic character who is the uh, crazy billionaire who actually does the funding for this. Tom Skerritt is the actual antagonist. He does a fantastic job of just being that misogynistic, how dare you step on what I was saying to say what you have to say, Tom Skerritt. Fine. Uh, wonderful. Matthew McConaughey. Hey, hey, hey. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Is Matthew McConaughey. All right. All right. All right. Matthew McConaughey is spectacular in this movie he is the perfect actor to play a uh, priest who has a, a a difficult time weighing the difference between faith and science he does a great job in this along with of course james woods who is just spectacular this is one of my favorite movies of all time uh see you got to see this on a special format yeah, I bought this movie again this week, Chip. This is the third or fourth time I've bought this movie in the last 25 years. I have this movie on Blu-ray in my archives in the basement. I took that Blu-ray upstairs and the Blu-ray player was not where I expected it to be plugged into the TV. So I sent $5 to Amazon to watch this movie. <laughs> the, the question that I have on that is, is where are we on the rights to watch these things? There, there is no free streaming method to watch this 25 year old movie right now. Should I not right now? 
Okay. Not right now. I had to pay $5 to Amazon to watch this movie, but I had the Blu-ray in my hand. The question that I'm running into is whether I should maintain my library of media or if that is completely useless. Well, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what I mean by that is we, what we've determined is if we can find things easily, people are willing to either pay for it, but if we start making things difficult for them, people will start pirating. This is, um, and there's there's one of the, the challenges. And we start going into the movies being released this week. We're recognizing that the streaming wars are, they're basically taking a lot of this middle movie stuff that's available out there. And they're moving it in a, a way that maybe you'll be able to see it. Maybe you won't be able to see it. You know, how many $15 or $10 a month subscriptions are you willing to to take on mm -hmm. and i'm looking at and i just put went to justwatch.com you're right steve um you can rent it for 3.99 all right. across the board or purchase okay. it for 4.99 so guess which one i did for yeah, the extra right. dollar i'm going to watch this movie uh, soon again at some point in the future so i investing that dollar in this was was valuable and here's where it really gets kind of crazy is it this justwatch.com does not show like if does HBO have the rights to this? You know, does does um does Netflix have the right to this? It doesn't look like it's on any of those. So you're going to have to have it own a copy or you're gonna to have to rent a copy or buy a copy. And remember when I watched Better Off Dead a few weeks back, I could not find that anywhere, including the ability to pay to watch that movie. I had to use the DVD copy from the archives. So those are the situations where I am certainly at a crossroads trying to figure out what what of this material do I need to maintain? Uh, one day, one day, Chip, I will move out of this house. And do I want to move all of that plastic media, all of those DVDs and Blu-rays that I've acquired in this house for the last two decades? Well, and there's the question that I keep take on, uh, taking on as I move around. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I you start getting rid of stuff. I got rid of my DVDs. Mm -hmm on the second move because I said, that's crazy. And my Incredible. CDs that I've had since I was a kid are all gone uh, along with my cassettes. And for those kids who don't know what those are, you don't need to look it up, look it up on Wikipedia kids. <laughs> <laughs> opening this week we've got some really interesting movies and yes you're right there's a, a division between the theatrical releases and those streaming services all right steve we've got buzz lightyear coming out this year i mean this week we've got lightyear it'll be released friday in theater all right not on streaming on Disney Plus. This is a Disney property that they have decided is worthy of the theatrical release. And look at who it stars, Steve. Captain America himself, Chris Evans, as the voice of Buzz Lightyear, and James Brolin as the voice of Emperor Zerg. You might remember James Brolin is the father of a, a, an actor named Josh Brolin who played Thanos. So why would they change the, the voice of Lightyear? There's something to be said for putting Chris Evans's name on uh, a property at this point in the Disney 
uh, IP. Chris Evans is very popular. Tim Allen is not nearly the same uh, draw that he used to be. And this is not the same Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story series. This is the real life story that led to those toys. All right, so I'm looking at an article. Uh, basically, it says that, um, yeah, Tim Allen hasn't addressed it. That's interesting. Maybe he asked for too much money. So. Maybe. And, and Chris Evans maybe was was willing and able to do it, maybe under contract with Disney. Interesting. I look forward to this. Uh, this has gotten very high ratings in all the reviews that have come out so far. I look forward to Lightyear being one of those movies that goes on, and I watch it 25 years from now. <laughs> Steve, that's not the only young person's film being released this week. Yeah, there's a movie called The Lost Girls. This is another, yet another retelling of the Peter Pan story. This one uh, focusing on the grandmother and the mother and the granddaughter all being a part of Peter Pan's tale. So when your IP comes out of uh, being held uh, and anyone can play in your sandbox, you get lots of different movies. This one seems to be like a, I should say a teen film, mm -hmm. not a young person's film, because of course, Peter Pan is a story of, uh, well, growing, growing up. up. Yeah. Or not so, growing up and, and the well, nostalgia and the desire to never grow up. And it looks like Peter has not forgiven Wendy. So this actually looks very interesting. I, I, I'd be interested in, in seeing sort of the take on this. And uh, so this is being released now. Which brings me back to probably what I would say is my favorite of the Peter Pan films, the one from 2003. Hmm. And in fact, the theme was so strong, Disney actually picked it up. This was not a Disney film, but it was certainly, uh, but back in 2003, they made a really good version of Peter Pan. And if you're looking for that backyard uh, a movie to watch with young people, I would say this, this is really good. It um, is of the play... And certainly it is a very, um, it's a mixture of a movie, it's a, it's a movie uh, uh, presentation, but it's got a little bit of theatrical part to it. Interesting. As far as when they're flying and stuff like that. Of course, um, we no week would be complete without mentioning the, the, the gentleman that was in court for so long, Steve, Johnny Depp. And uh, 2004's Finding Neverland. So, so before he heard of, a, um, of Amber, <laughs> he uh, did one where he played J.M. Barry, which was actually a pretty, it was kind of what inspired him to write Peter Pan. And of course, uh, who can go through a month without thinking of, um, well, Spielberg's uh, homage, Pastiche de Hook, Grown Up which stars Robin Williams mm -hmm. back in 1991. It wasn't really well-received back then at all. Well, Robin Williams was was still a hot commodity. So I, I remember thinking, oh, a Robin Williams movie. I want to see that. But I, I didn't, didn't really care much about the rest of the story. Well, Spielberg was yeah. attached to it also. Yeah, it, it was a Spielberg film, but it was Robin Williams being Robin Williams so much. I look forward to seeing uh, that childishness that Robin Williams brought to the screen. And of course, who can forget Geico's commercial with Peter Pan? Do you remember this one? No. Oh, well, press on it and watch it. Don't watch commercials, Chip. It is it is one of the true joys. It is like a fiftieth and um reunion and everyone has grown up except for peter and he shows up being the kid 
and nobody is happy as he's doing kid jokes on all the um, of all the the older people. <laughs> you should watch it. Yeah. Very very funny. The the idea of not growing up is is definitely something that uh, is is an easy tale to tell. You forgot the movie Pan from 2015, the Hugh Jackman uh, being <laughs> being uh, Hook in Pan. Yeah, no one watched that. So, <laughs> Everybody forgot that one. <laughs> of course they did. All right, so Steve, that's not the only young person's film or growing up film. We have one that's a, that is not a documentary, but kind of looks like a documentary. It is a documentary. These are not actors portraying parts. These are two women in the rugged mountains of the American West. This one is called Bitter Brush. But you mean it's got teen girls riding horses mm -hmm. uh, of course <laughs> with this beautiful cin cinematography yes. by the way it's gonna it's gonna be breath you, you have a big screen tv for a reason and it's too bad your screen can't be even bigger because you're gonna be going through all these beautiful mountains and it's gonna be like young girls and horses i think there's gonna be a market for this steve if they could find the people to watch it 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 is filmed in such a way that it does not look like a documentary. It looks like a drama. It looks like two people playing parts, but these are two girls that are really living this life and explaining it to the audience. So Steve, Brian and Charles looks really odd. I look really forward to this one. Yes, you're right. This is the coming of age story of a robot. A, a strange inventor creates wow. himself a robot made out of a washing machine that is obviously not a robot. It's obviously an actor in a box. And I, I just smile watching the trailer for Brian and Charles. It is an actor <laughs> in a box with a head attached to the top a of fake it. head, yeah. And maybe there's like a string running down the bottom of it that kind of moves the lips a little bit when he talks. A little bit. I, this is so Doctor Who. This is so Doctor Who evil robot. I am so excited about this movie. It's it's won awards. This is this is one of those weird movies that wins awards. <laughs> okay. And so there's always a weird movie out there that, and this is definitely it. It's either going to be brilliant or just be trash. That's true. So, so anyway, um, well, wasn't there one with Harry Potter like a year ago where he plays like a um, Swiss Army know, Man? Like, yeah, the, that's the, a corpse. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. In the vein of that, there's this movie. Steve, let's talk about the next two films because they look bad. Yes, there's one called Blowback. This is a heist film. I love a good heist. A good heist film is wonderful. Uh, I don't know if this one is going to be one of those, but it seems pretty by-the-book heist movie. Go rob the so, bank. Well, it looks like Qui-Gon Jinn, who's going to survive this, could take a, um, you know, has a, he's a man with certain skills and is going to go and he's going to track them down. Good. <laughs> Yes, there's another one. Well, I mean, Qui-Gon Jinn is not in this film, but I mean, it could be. <laughs> Somehow Liam Neeson was busy that week and couldn't do this. Because it's a one word, because it's a one word title, you assume it's a Liam Neeson movie. That's a good assumption in 2022, my friend. 
There's a movie called The Good Neighbor. This is a weird story about two people who accidentally uh, kill a young lady on a bicycle and the tragic turn that they don't report this to the authorities. Uh, this is weird. This is a weird tale. I do recommend that you watch the trailer, but I don't know that the movie's any good. Yeah, I don't think you need to watch the trailer. <laughs> Just take our word for it. You can skip that one. Steve, let's go to streaming because there seems to be some pretty good stuff coming up on streaming. Yeah, Apple TV Plus is bringing us cha-cha real smooth. This is the story of a young man who is a party starter. Not exactly the DJ, but the guy that makes the party happen goes to a bar mitzvahs and, and befriends a young lady and her mother. And then I'm not sure what happens in the story after that. The trailer is very cagey about what is happening in this relationship. So a party starter is a person that kind of shows up. You know, when you were young, I'm sorry, I was young and I got to take my little girls to the Cinderella ball or something like that. There'd be Cinderella there and Cinderella would get all the girls out there and do some dancing with them. Mm -hmm. A party starter is kind of that person. You kind of bring them in or bring her in. And what they do is they kind of grab people and bring them on the dance floor, get them involved. And so that's what this gentleman's uh, job is after he graduated from college. As they mentioned to him twice, like, do you want to tell us about tell us about your your job prospects, or are you going to talk about this party starting uh, business? And he's like, all right, I, I guess I'm going to talk about this party starting uh, business. But anyway, um, it, this looks interesting and uh, certainly worthy of your time if you have apple tv plus i'm definitely intrigued by the storytelling in the trailer and and what the movie will bring us so thor odinson starts in a couple weeks but steve thor odinson has in it has a new film coming out this week yes every movie is is required to have a hemsworth and this movie spiderhead features chris hemsworth yes that's the one that plays thor this is an interesting view of what might happen in a science fiction sort of situation where we are testing medications on convicts well, and you thought that Thor was a trip. <laughs> That's the tagline. That's the tagline for Spiderhead. You thought Thor was a trip. <laughs> That's on Netflix. That comes out this week. Steve, let's go to Emma Thompson and uh, her needs on oh, Hulu. My goodness. This one is called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. It is, yes, uh, Emma Thompson, an actress who I really adore, playing a 55-year-old widow who is seeking a relationship with a very young man on a uh, paid sort of level. Well, it looks like there's going to be some adult situations in this, Steve. Her name is Nancy Strokes, right? Stokes. Oh, thank oh, thanks for wow. thanks for that wow. though. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Steve, Paramount Plus has something fun for us. Yes, this this might be my streaming pick of the week. It's called Jerry and Marge Go Large. This is an all-star cast. Brian Cranston, Annette Benning, Rain Wilson, and Michael McKeon uh, trying to outwit the local lottery. And He's a mathematician. My fear for this movie is it's going to teach people that somehow that playing the lottery is a way to wealth. Do, do you think that the uh, lottery commission 
funded this movie because the idea, the the real pie in the sky dream of the lottery is that you you are smarter than the system. <laughs> oh my goodness! So the the premise of it is that Jerry and Marge are getting ready to retire. They don't have enough money. Jerry is a mathematician, puts together an algorithm, somehow wins the lottery, and feels he can continue to win the lottery, only to find out some kids have also figured out this algorithm, and they know the dark web. So, you know, all the fears that, um, I don't know, retiring people could go through, Mm -hmm. not having enough money, and that the younger generation somehow has an upper hand on them. Holy cow. I really, I really like this trailer. I really think that this is a, a winner of a movie. Well, in fact, the streaming uh, movies this week actually look pretty good mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to many of the uh, theatrical releases. Steve, that's going to be a good win. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Brings us to our book and our book of the week. Uh, you know, sometimes, Chip, sometimes I like to pair a lovely movie with a book. And that's exactly what I did this week because I was watching the movie Contact, one of my top 10 favorite movies. I decided to reread the original 1985 book Contact written by Carl Sagan. Well, I heard he's quotable, Steve. <laughs> I got to tell you, Carl Sagan, I admire what he was able to do. That idea of bringing science to the masses, explaining the giant, huge ideas of the universe to a a proletariat, to a, a bunch of people that don't know anything, and being able to dumb it down enough to explain some things. Carl Sagan was absolutely brilliant. So Steve, tell us a little bit about what the premise of this book is. The premise of this story is, once again, the idea of aliens making contact with the world, having a, a real hard science looking at the sky, looking at the stars, listening to all of the radio signals and TV signals that might be emanating from any of the billions of stars in the sky. We started broadcasting in the 1940s and radio a little bit earlier than that. And the idea of those radio and TV signals literally left our planet and zoomed through the universe. What if somebody somewhere out there was able to understand those signals that we sent out? The idea here is a scientist searching the sky, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI, trying to find evidence that we are not alone in the universe, and suddenly getting a signal from a star 26 light years away. And that signal is the bounce back broadcast of Adolf Hitler opening the Olympic Games 26 years previous. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. Well, that being being that was the first television broadcast, the first major television broadcast. Uh, In fact, I'm glad you mentioned it because I did not know that. That really was the f- first 
it was a big achievement for the wow. world that that moment being captured on television and broadcast around the planet for the opening of the Olympic Games, that was historic. And if that signal was received by alien life outside of Earth, they wouldn't know the context of Adolf Hitler. They wouldn't know the context of the swastika. They saw this broadcast because that planet is 26 light years away when they repeated it back and it came back to us 52 years after its broadcast the the symbolism of that becomes an issue and the conversation of history and science and religion becomes a very big part of the conversation in contact so ultimately what do you think the the message of this book is well carl sagan certainly was trying to enlighten the world, trying to explain the hard science, the things that we really know about the wider universe. And he here is giving us the hard science wrapped up in this beautiful drama with this great character who's able to express the difference between religion and science, the difference between faith and understanding. And Carl Sagan is able to write about the difference of opinions that is the religiously based thinking and the science based thinking. And to come to a, a very interesting, happy medium between people of faith and people of science. I, I really enjoy that he doesn't discredit any thinking but at the same time says here's what is truth so what did he say is truth then well science knowing the science knowing the science is absolute compared to the the thinking and the mythology boy i'm going to make people mad saying that, science, that religion is mythology but the basis of that storytelling to explain our world and those stories being very important to us versus the the observation of what's actually happening. So you're basically saying the Aristotelian concept of the world, the how to how to observe the universe, mm -hmm. um, and then as we gain further knowledge, we keep refining it or abandoning based upon what our evidence states at the time. That, that would be the scientific approach. Science is not truth. Science is the process mm -hmm. to uncovering what we think is, um, I guess, the most likely of the, of, the, of the time. And as information reveals itself uh, and our understanding gets better, that could change too. And I love the idea of Occam's razor that is brought up in this. The idea of the simplest explanation is usually the right explanation. Something that we talked about when we were reading through Sherlock Holmes with Pamela Bedore. That is the idea of the investigator that is Sherlock Holmes trying to get at the truth. Occam's razor. What's the most likely scenario? Is that probably what happened we don't know there's so many questions about the universe there's so many questions about how all of this got here why we do the things that we do based on the history of this earth and this life and 
there are lots of writers like Carl Sagan who have been trying to have this conversation about that for a long time. So, and what is that? Where does that leave religion? There's certainly a place for mythology in our everyday lives. There's certainly a place for storytelling. Storytelling is so incredibly important to understanding that I think that there is a, a space for us on this planet to understand each other through those parables that we get from religion. Okay. Okay. That's my belief. This book is really good, really good characterizations, really good thinking through what life would be like on this planet if we became just another planet with life on it. We've been so alone in the universe up until this point. We don't see any evidence of alien life, and we keep looking for it. We keep searching to see if there's an answer to that big question. And I love thinking about Fermi's paradox, the idea that there are so many planets out there that could be inhabited. There's so many possibilities. How is it that we haven't seen any evidence of any of those alien civilizations? Is it possible that we're alone in the universe? And my favorite line from the movie is, if we're alone in the universe, that's an awful big waste of space. There's so much out there outside of our little blue planet. Uh, the, the possibilities are endless, literally. And, you know, and throw a multiverse in there, Steve, and all of a sudden it becomes even more. It's like endless with, with you know, multiple iterations of it. Infinity. It is an infinite universe with all of the iterations. Every choice that every human has ever made leads to the consequences. The, the idea of the multiverse going into quantum. Oh, we could, we could talk about quantum all day long and still not understand it. Well, isn't it interesting? Because I think that they the the idea is the universe is finite, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, for us, mm -hmm. it's infinite because we may be able, never be able to get to the the finite part. Right. Uh, our universe is thought to be finite, but when you join in with all of the other multiverses, then we have infinite space and possibilities. Well, it's a good thing Reed Richards is out there, Steve. <laughs> He's been shredded. Oh, spoilers. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest reading more. I suggest reading books that you are understanding on your level and still don't understand on a different level. The, the idea of the universe trying to come to an understanding. I read a lot of books. Carl Sagan was one of those great voices in that ability to teach us about things that we maybe we can't understand. Maybe we don't have the possible understanding, but to try to get it into words that we can understand. Sort of, uh, you know, it's not just check your premises. It's just challenge your premises. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's a great, it's a great thing to do in the summer. Challenge what you know, what is it that you know, and how do you come to that knowledge? I recommend Carl Sagan. I recommend contact. This was published in 1985. I recommend the movie version, which is just uh, glorious. I love that movie. And I really like this book. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. We got some news this week, Chip. 
We have news mm -hmm. during the summertime. Summertime news. <laughs> the living is easy. The European Union has passed a bill forcing mobile phone builders to switch the USB-C connectors by autumn of 2024. How about that? Isn't uh, Apple already adopting that? They have not. They have been keeping up with their their thunderbolt. Lightning, lightning? Is it lightning or thunder? I don't. I never. Lightning, the lightning is for the. Um, is it, that's for the the phones okay. and the the iPads. But I think the new ones will be having the USB Type C. I think they recognize that this was coming, mm -hmm. and they made the decision to play ball. Well, they kind of have to because the European Union is a pretty big market for their stuff. I do agree with this order that we should all go to a universal connector, but I really, really wonder about what happens when the next technology comes out. If they make a law saying that you must use this technology, what does that do when the next technology surpasses it? And I think that's a fair argument right there is that when you make a law and you require something, that could mean that the next iteration is not available. Or it may mean that the phones are bigger than they have to be because now you, I don't know, walk in your house and somehow it magically charges. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that could go wrong with it. Mm -hmm. um, but what we found is having a bunch of cords running around is not helpful either. A different proprietary cord for every device did not work out very well for all the devices previous to this. That universal USB has changed everything about computing just as much as Bluetooth has changed everything about computing. Well, there you go. I'm excited for this. I, I do wonder about how uh, the next generation will work with this, but you're right. Wireless charging might be the future of that anyway. Uh, but this is an interesting move by the European Union. Well, the White House has proposed that EV chargers um, basically become a sta they standardize. Yeah, kind of Which a is similar story, isn't it? That the what? idea of a universal charger for our automobiles is something that lawmakers think is important. And, and that is interesting, too, because Tesla, which is the dominant EV right now, mm -hmm. this moment, um, has their own charging network across the United States. It's on, it, on its own standard. Mm -hmm. And the places that have the what we call the more universal uh, charger, well, they're hit and miss. Mm -hmm. I, I know because I have a car that I can charge. I have a, a plug-in hybrid and I have tried to find the right charger, the right shape for my vehicle. And yes, they are very hit or miss. And the question of this infrastructure is the cart or the horse, which one comes first? Do you build the infrastructure to have electric vehicles before you need that infrastructure? Or do you get the electric vehicles first and then build the infrastructure later? And who's responsible for that? And I mean, this, this, this has to do, I mean, I'm going to give it to you in a little more um, in a way that, that uh, our listeners may be able to understand it. Because right next to us is a little town in Illinois, Gilbert's, and they were trying to, you know, when you're going to put in fiber for your entire, and fiber, not just to the town, fiber to every home. Who's required to pay for that fiber? Is the homeowner required to pay for the fiber 
from their home to the connector, to the fiber network, or is a service, AT&T or whoever the service required to, or is the village required to pay that, your township Mm -hmm. required to pay for it. So these are, you know, there's, there's a legal way it gets done, but how it's accomplished could change from uh, from from time to time. From village to village, you, too. Yeah, and I can tell you that I think Gilbert's voted down mm-hmm. to have the homeowners pay for it. And so this only works if, you know, it's everywhere. So it, this is really kind of an interesting dilemma on how to create this network. And uh, it's a different model than... Um, than the gasoline, sta- gasoline stations. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be. Uh, it happens in the cities quickly, and it happens in rural areas at a different speed. Very much like the Internet. This is, this is much more like the rollout of the Internet than the rollout of gas stations. Because, yes, the, the individuals decided to make a gas station, you know, those oases that supplied that energy. How are we going to supply this energy, and how is it different from that system? Well, in, in fact, in this week, or um, here we go, um, I want to say that it was North Carolina voted to expand uh, high-speed broadband internet um across the state there are 1.1 million north carolina residents that lack uh access to high-speed internet so north carolina has say 12 million residents so one twelfth of the population do not have access uh, to high-speed internet mm-hmm. now that group how do you get high-speed internet to them now if you're in chicago they uh they would force the um the broadband service to work when, with the poor areas when they're installing the wealthy areas everywhere with the idea of trying to get access to everyone. Because right. you could see where wealthy communities, it would be there um, easier. Um, but, you know, as you start moving to rural areas, going up and down a mountain, go, you know, these, these are very expensive. Uh, when you start getting to low-density populations, it's a lot more expensive. And so... Um, I don't know, man. This, you know, you could see in big urban areas, not an issue. You know, we can create a little network for you, but you know, I, we're already seeing some of it. But as you start moving out to Middle America, it's going to get a little more challenging. I think that it's inevitable that the municipalities take up the the charge of getting that service to each household, very much like water. And sewer is in the municipalities' purview. I think the internet is the next thing. Uh, the the only caveat to that being all the wireless. There's so much work being done with wireless that communities in rural areas might very well get that service from the sky. That sky net. Uh, that that doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? <laughs> no, but you know we were talking about the EVs, and you know. Do, do municipalities, does Schomburg decide they're going to open their own and compete? Uh, you know, 
I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's going to be the case for that. I don't think my little town, our little municipality could support the cost of that. Uh, Going from a national standard, the White House proposing these standards might be the only way to get it done. Interesting. You know, it's interesting that maybe ComEd for in Illinois, ComEd is the, here we have Duke Energy. Mm -hmm. They don't become the, like, start opening up their own distribution. They certainly you know, could, what, but uh, you know, leasing in front of the grocery stores mm-hmm. and stuff like that. How, I don't know. It, how expensive is that? Is that cost effective for them to do that? Should the are there other smaller companies that are doing that now, putting up the grocery store chargers? Yes. Is is that making them money? I I don't know the answer to that. I did find one at the grocery store across the street from my part time job though yesterday, and I was like, all right, I am charging my car. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes is I, there one at Whole Foods? I know at Whole Foods they have the Tesla charging. I do not know. I don't have the only Whole next, Foods next is going to go to Schaumburg, Steve. Yeah, it's Schaumburg. I'm, I'm not going I'm to Schaumburg for my groceries. <laughs> uh, the Los Angeles Chargers declined to comment on both of these charging stories, by the way. We're here all weekend. I wrote they're busy NFL, Steve. They're busy when football deals. I wrote that joke at the beginning of the week, and I just wanted to share it, even though it's not a great joke and it was bad delivery. Just move on, folks. Just move on. <laughs> the United States has lifted its COVID-19 testing requirements for travelers entering the country, effective on Sunday. So those of you outside of the country who are waiting to come back in, there's no more testing requirements. So there's another uh, good sign for the pandemic question mark well you know we don't know steve hmm. and we we'll never know that's the whole point is that we'll never know Seems like it feel, well maybe covid's coming back you never know <laughs> it's certainly possible that that the mutations will uh, come back for us in the fall we'll see what happens we got a lot of stuff on the calendar this week. Today, once again, is Flag Day. Happy Flag Day to everyone who celebrates. June 16th is Captain Picard Day, so uh, make sure that you celebrate the captain of the Enterprise. June 9th. Earl T. Ray Hot. June make 19th. that day so, Steve. Make it so. Make it so. June 19th, Sunday, is Father's Day. Chip, happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you, sir. I I hope all of the other fathers out there are being treated well on Sunday. And uh, you know how Father's Day goes compared to Mother's Day, right? Father's Day is leave me alone. (laughs) The the lawn still needs to be mowed, Steve. It's Father's Day. (laughs) June 19th is also the celebration of Juneteenth this year, something we've talked about on this show years and years and years, but now it is a national holiday. So happy Juneteenth on Sunday the 19th. And Walmart may or may not have some ice cream for you. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. What a what a situation that is. Whoo. June 20th is the 42nd anniversary of the Blues Brothers movie that came out in 1980. That was 42 years ago, my friend. Still one of my top five favorite movies of all time. And Carrie Fisher is still angry about it. Yes, even even little girl version of Carrie Fisher is probably up for the next role in the next Blues Brothers. I would watch the heck out of that, by the way. That little girl is doing such a great Carrie Fisher impression on Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I, I'm, I'm in. Give, give me more Blues Brothers. 
I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. Yes, sir. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. And I'm Sam the Eagle or Chip Essenblow. Either one. We'll see you in the future. And I'm Sam the Eagle, or Chip Hessenplow, either one. Well, I think I think that explains a lot about the last eight years. <laughs>